welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my wonderful husband, Zach. You always hesitate before you say husband. It's because I'm trying to think of a really cool adjective to describe As long as it's not another noun. Anyway. Here's my good friend, Zach. (laughs) We're just buddies. Oh, you are my good friend, too. (laughs) Um, So I, let's see, this weekend I was able to meet some of you at SALT, the SALT LDS retreat that was so fun. It kind of made me feel like, hey, we're really like talking to real people out there. So thank you to those of you that um, came up and talked to me and also um, those that didn't. send us a message or talk to me sometime. It just makes it feel so much real, like that we're having this conversation. That's what we want to be. But it also made me feel like even more like, oh, I wish we were talking to real people. <laughs> but this, this is the best we can do, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, especially this episode, as we've been planning it and studying it, this is one of those that I think this is what, episode 38, 35, 11, or 35, 6 through 11, but mostly in 11. And this is one of those that there's really, this is as far as deep waters to study and swim in this is it I mean, this is about as deep a pool as you get yeah and i'm sad that we have to answer our own questions in this episode because i think there'd be so many this would be an awesome study to have with so many with so many people so so yeah that i think a good exactly what we're in our introduction like teach to others like what a fun discussion to have because even as we were discussing some of the stuff i I found some points of study that I want to keep studying Mm -hmm. on this that I hadn't noticed before. So how meaningful a deep study of just this chapter of chapter 11 can be. Um, So if you get a chance to respond to some of these questions this week, we would love to hear from you. Obviously, if you get a chance to ask some questions, some of these questions to others or teach them, I think there's a lot of power in what we're going to study today that could make a difference for you. But But first, let's not forget our study tip. Study tip. So the study tip actually comes from the class I was able to teach, um, or I guess the group discussion we had at at SALT this last Saturday, yesterday, um, was about scripture study and empowering women, because women were the audience there, to get into God's Word. And so we really focused on... Um, finding doctrines, which are truths about God that make us want to get to know him and um, come to understand him better, and then principles, the the action of what we can be doing. So that's what we wanted to study on, focus on not only on our study tip, which Zach is going to explain a little better, but also as we move in through this chapter. Yeah. We hear doctrines and principles in the church a lot, um, and I don't know if it's essential that we divide the two terms. They're both a reference for truth, uh, divine truth. Um, But I think there is some utility in maybe understanding the difference, especially in giving us a way to study the scriptures. So doctrine refers to um, simple, unchanging truths of the gospel, or my simplified definition, definition is doctrines are truths about God. These are truths about the Father or the Son or the Holy Ghost that make us love them, that make us want to be close to them, that teach us about their character, about their attributes, about their personality. I remember a couple years ago when I had that realization that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost have personalities. They have likes and dislikes. Um, Just like you would meet someone else and and, uh, get to know them, you can meet and get to know um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so... um, 
that's a doctrine. It's a truth about God that helps us to know them and love them. And maybe I can, when as I was preparing some of my stuff for salt, um, I'm going to quote you, Zach, on this because I loved what, what you said, um, that the goal of scriptures is to glue man to God. Mm-hmm. And I love that, and I've thought about that a lot since then because that's what it is. I mean, as, as you study and understand who God and who Jesus Christ are, um, it becomes this desire to yeah. get to know them better, and it becomes the glue that that wants you to get closer to God. Well, that's the purpose of Scripture. These scriptural authors, they're prophets whose purpose was to testify of Christ. And so it's no surprise that the Scriptures are replete with doctrines, with truths about Christ, and sometimes they're buried. Sometimes it's a story about people from which we have to draw truths about God. It's not always as overt and on the surface as today's study is. But if you want a really uh, meaningful way to study scriptures, look through whatever it is you're reading and ask yourself the question, what am I learning about the character of God that makes me love him more? Now that's doctrines. Principles are truths packaged for application. So where a doctrine is a truth about God, a principle is a truth about me, or maybe more specifically about how I can connect to God. And so together, doctrines and principles, like you said, glue man to God. The doctrines tell us about him and who he is and why we should love him and why we should come closer to him. The principles tell us how we do it. Um, And so a doctrine about God, a very simple one, for example, would be that God loves us. He is our Father in heaven and he cares about us. That's a doctrine. It's a truth about God. But I can't really do anything with that truth. And so the principle that's connected to that would be, I will speak to God as if he were my Father in my prayers. That's a principle. I can talk to God in my prayers is a principle. Again, don't get hung up on whether or not that's a doctrine or that's a principle. But in your scripture study and in your scripture teaching, there is power in searching for and teaching truths about God and then also connecting those to truths about us. Doctrines without principles or principles without doctrines sometimes are incomplete. But when both truths come together, a truth about God and a truth about how I can connect to him, then our scripture study really comes alive and we meet the purpose for which the original authors, I think, intended us to to reach. Yeah. And for those who were at my class, that's one reason I wanted us to talk about this study tip is because Zach can can just explain things a little better. So thank you. Hopefully that like clarifies some of the things that that maybe we were jumbled on. Well, what we're going to do is in this episode, this is a very doctrinal uh, heavy episode. And I know, again, the reason I emphasize that doctrines are truths about God is sometimes we hear the word doctrine and you hear that something is doctrinally rich or doctrinally heavy and we think, oh, we're going to talk about Kolob or, oh, we're going to talk about the 12 tribes and the gathering. And no, doctrine isn't referred to, it's not deep truths or, or complicated truths. It's actually something that's very simple. So this is an episode filled with simple truths about the Father and, and maybe even more specifically about the Savior. The next episode are going to, is going to be more principle-based. Um, and so we'll explain more of that as we get into it, but there's where we're going and that's how to study it. Yeah. Let's get started. Okay. Well, if you remember last episode, we begin the book of third Nephi with a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of negativity. We talked about infections and how the Gadiatan robbers are infecting the Nephites and this infection is spreading. Um, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. 
The episode before that, we had talked about the prophecies of Samuel the Lamanite. And of course, the most surprising prophecy he gave was that a Christ would be born and there would be signs attendant to his birth, but also that he would die and there would be signs attendant to that death. And so in 33 AD, after the sign of his birth has been given, the Nephites start to see the signs of his death. And we'll talk a little bit more about those in a minute. But if you go to 3 Nephi chapter 11, this is the crowning event of the whole Book of Mormon. This is the climax of the book, where the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, appears to these Nephites. There's about 2,500 of them surrounding the temple in Bountiful, and he appears. Um, I've seen and you've seen a lot of pictures of this, painted pictures, uh, pictures in, in church media and other, other uh, publications depicting uh, this event. And it was a couple of years ago that I was looking at one of the most famous pictures of Jesus Christ on the steps um, and, and people walking to him and coming to him, these masses of people surrounding him. And I was looking at that picture and reading 3 Nephi 11, and something was bothering me. Something in the picture just didn't quite square with what I was reading in the scriptures. And so I want to read the verse that has since become my all-time favorite Book of Mormon verse, and probably my favorite scripture in all scripture, verse 15 in chapter 11, and see if you can notice what's wrong with some of the traditional pictures we've seen. It came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side, and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do, going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth, and did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. Now we're going to center this whole episode around the things that these people got to see and feel and know. Um, you can't help read that and not want to put yourself in those people's situation in their, in their shoes and ask yourself, what would that have been like? But it becomes even more alive when you focus on the phrase, and maybe you caught it, they, this they did do, going forth one by one. And that's what you don't see in the artwork is right. what you're saying, right? Yeah. We see these masses of people coming mm -hmm. to the Savior. It's the Jesus Christ superstar. He reaches out his hands mm -hmm. and everyone clamors over them to get just a touch of his finger or to, to wave at him. But that doesn't square with the scriptural account. He did this one by one. In fact, I've heard someone once say, somewhat provocatively, Jesus Christ doesn't care about us because there's no such thing as us to him. There's no group. He cares about you and he cares about me. For him, it's always one by one. Elder Holland teaches the atonement was performed one by one, not in mass, not all at once, but one by one. And this is proof of that point that when the Savior ministers, when he teaches, um, his preference is to do it one by one. There were 2,500 people at the temple in Bountiful uh, on this first day, on this first appearance of the Savior. If he took three seconds with everyone, he was there for over two hours. Um, I would guess he maybe took even longer than that. If he took 10 seconds, he was there for seven hours. Um, this is crazy. If he was took a minute with everyone, he was there for two days just meeting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Now, he spent more days than that, but the sheer time that it would have taken for him to meet one by one with everyone, for everyone to have a chance to see him, to feel the prints of the nails in his hands and his side, to profess their love and their belief in him. 
and then to to tell others about it. So um, what we want to do this episode is study some doctrines, some truths we learn about the Savior through things that the people saw or felt or came to know that make us love him more, that make us more motivated to do what he's going to ask us to do in the coming chapters. My takeaway from that really is that that each one of us is so important to him one by one and that we can, exactly as it says in verse 15, that we can see and feel and know and then go out and bear record. That is, that is why he manifests himself to us in these different ways because um, he loves us and wants to spend that time with us. Yeah. One of the questions I'd love to ask um, if we were in a setting together, if we were in an intimate setting together, I would love to ask, when have you seen or felt or come to know something about the Savior? And what are those truths that you've come to realize about him from your own experience? We'll read about their experience, but what has it been in your experience and in those small moments in your life when he's appeared to you? Um, the One of the first ones that I noticed, though, and that I love is, and maybe this is just a, a teacher geeking out over the master teacher, but this is the world's most incredible object lesson. Back in chapter 8, they um, start seeing the signs of the Savior's death earthquakes and lightnings and thunderings, and then it goes dark. It goes pitch black, so much so that they can't spark, they can't light, there's no fires, there's no stars, there's no moon, no sun, nothing. There is nothing giving light. And uh, sometimes I'll go through all of the effort, this last year we did it with our students, going through all of the effort to completely black out a classroom so that our students can experience what it feels like to be in pitch black. And even then, you really can't do it. There's light that creeps in and little bits all over the room. I've, I've tried. I've spent hours trying to black out a whole room, and it's impossible. <laughs> so one of the best experiences I've had to understand that is there's a place here in Utah, up Timpanogos Mountain and Timpanogos Cave, if anyone's ever been there, where you, you hike into this cave, and then there's a point where they can shut the door, turn off the light, and then it's it's complete blackness because you're so deep in the cave. And as long as you're there, there's you can't see anything. Your eyes can't adjust to the dark if there's no light. So a minute after the light goes off, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Ten minutes after the light goes off, you can't see your hand in front of your face. They were there for three hours, so or for three days. So three days of not being able to see anything, of just hearing the noise, the fires, the moaning, the crying, uh, the murmuring, the prayers for three days everything is just dark. And then when the Savior appears, he tells them, verse 11, I am the light and the life of the world. Um, This is a physical illustration of a very spiritual truth, which is when we try and go it alone without the Savior in our life, um, there's no light. He's the physical light of the world. He's the spiritual light of the world. He's the physical and spiritual light of our lives. Without him in this world, there is no light. And um, in order for us to have light in our lives, we need to have him. And that's kind of a big general level truth. Um, But boy, if I'm thinking back on my life and thinking of moments when I've tried to do things on my own and compared those with moments when I've really sought for heaven's help, it's the difference between night and day. 
it's the difference between darkness and light for me. Well, or I don't think that we are alone in just loving this analogy of light and darkness. A, f- a few of my favorite conference talks come from from these stories that they've told. There's one from Elder Whitney um, Whitney L. Clayton called um, Choose to Believe, and he tells the story of a young girl who um, is in a plane crash, and she's the only survivor, and she's in the middle of nowhere um, in a cold in cold mountains, and she he uses the like she looks for she sees a light in the distance it's all dark and that's what she goes to and i think that and likens that to our own journey in life of how often we feel dark but maybe though there are so often times where all that we see is this little glimmer um of light ahead that keeps us going and that that light is jesus christ and so that's such a powerful powerful thought something i noticed this time through that i hadn't noticed before is he actually tells them that he's the light of the world uh, once before he shows up. So he tells them when he appears, but he tells them back in chapter 9, they hear this voice as they're in the darkness, uh, naming the cities that have been destroyed and then teaching them. So this is chapter 9, verse 18, and he says there, I am the light and the life of the world. And one of the senses you get as you read chapter 9 and especially chapter 10 is is something that I, I this is, I hope it isn't irreverent, the pleading God. He uses this analogy in chapter 10 where he says, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but you wouldn't? How oft will I gather you? Um, you get the sense that Jesus is trying with everything he has by controlling the very lights in the sky to beg these people to turn to him. His whole life was given so that he could help others. Uh, and I think the thing that breaks his heart more than anything else is when we reject that gift. He wants to help. And so this illustration is, let me show you what your world will be like without me so that you'll turn to me, so that you'll let me gather you, so that I can be the light in your life um, and bring you back to live in the place of ultimate life. And speaking of that pleading and that that time that it takes them to be gathered. Um, we read in verse 3 for this next thought. It says, and it came chapter to... Chapter 11, verse 3, right? Yeah, yeah, back in, in chapter, chapter 11. 11. And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven. So here now he has, God is talking to them, ready to introduce um, that Jesus Christ is coming. The voice as if it came out of heaven... And they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. It was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding, it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and it did cause their hearts to burn. So there were a a small number that heard that first voice, Mm -hmm. but then it continues on with verse four. Again, they heard the voice and they understood it not. So they were hearing it. As we read in verse three, they were feeling it and made their frame quake. It did pierce them to the very soul. Their hearts did burn. These were, they were feeling it so much. They were hearing so much, so deeply Mm -hmm. is what I guess the way you'd say it, that they were having a physical sensation, which I think is such a beautiful way to describe how the Spirit teaches and feels the way that we can feel the Spirit today. Um, and again, the third time they did hear the voice and it did open their ears to hear it. And they and their eyes were towards the sound thereof. 
And they did look steadfastly toward heaven from whence the sound came. And behold, in verse 6, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard. And it said to them, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. So I think that's interesting to think of that, of even that, they had been in darkness, they heard these voices, and here's the Father bearing witness, and it still takes them three times to really understand what he's saying. And so maybe that pleading is coming still of like, listen, please listen. This is about as, this is about as, as direct as we can get here. Yeah. Um, I've been wrestling a lot over the past couple of weeks with the plan of salvation. Um, it's something that we teach our students, seminary students, at the beginning of every year. And we had a challenge from our commissioner of education, Elder Clark, this year to teach the plan without circles and lines. And I've done this for a couple of years now where I will I'll ask a student to come up and draw the plan on the board. Um, and they'll you know, draw a circle, draw the veil, squiggly line, draw an arrow coming to earth. Here's earth life. Then draw this arrow, then these threes, then the sun and the moon and the stars. And, and then I'll just turn it back to the class and say, if, if, if a non-member of the church were to ask you, what's, what's this plan of salvation I hear about? And you were to draw for them a bunch of circles and lines, you're going to confuse the heck out of them. And so then I ask them again, that's not the plan. You haven't answered the question. What is the plan of salvation is not a bunch of circles and lines. And so we go back and we wrestle with it again. And what we come down to is this. The plan of salvation, the definition is, is God's plan for helping us become like him. It's God's plan for our salvation. Pretty basic. But then you have to ask the question, so what's his plan? And his plan is one word, Jesus. Jesus is the plan. The plan requires that there's an earth created. And so he, he through the sun, creates an earth. The plan requires that man choose and by so doing make mistakes. And so the plan requires there be an atonement made, that there be a savior. And so Jesus is the atonement and the savior. The plan requires death. And so Jesus is the resurrected one. In other words, the plan of salvation, the father's plan for getting us back to him is the son. And so here you have him pleading, this is my beloved son. This is the plan. I'm showing you the plan. And now that you see him, will you come to him? Will you turn to him? Will you accept him? Will you follow the plan so that you can return and live with me? And so I, lo I love that. I love what you're saying. I love this father pleading with us to listen to his son, to listen to the plan. Yeah. So they see this light. They feel his voice. And then they come to know. It says in verse 12, And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, testifying of who he was, the whole multitude fell to the earth, for they remembered that it had been prophesied among them that Christ should show himself unto them after his ascension into heaven. They knew it, but it sure did take them a while to get there. Mm -hmm. Even these people that had been, that were seeing these signs. That was kind of the, the aha moment I had in this is like, they just barely knew it. Here they were, the father had testified, Jesus had testified, and then they knew. Um, they knew that he, he was who he said. Yeah. Um, there's a, a line uh, a couple of chapters earlier in the darkness when the father says to them, O ye that are not... O ye that are more righteous than they, the ones that are destroyed, the most wicked are destroyed. 
you remember last episode, we talked about that these chapters mirror what will happen before the Savior's second coming, and so it'll be the second coming. Wickedness is destroyed off the earth. Um, but that doesn't mean that the people that are left are all complete, righteous believers. Um, it's just those that are more righteous, those that aren't wicked. And so here you have this collection of people that they're not wicked, um, but they're still struggling in their knowledge of, of prophecies and, and revelations related to the Savior. And I love over the next 13 chapters, 14 chapters, um, that, that Jesus is going to take time with these people to teach them and to help them to grow um, in their knowledge, testimony, and love of him. And of course, and mm-hmm. their ability to come closer to him and closer to the Father. You know, when I'm th- as I'm thinking about that too, that really just shows to me is, don't we all feel that way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we have manifestations in our life that are sometimes as poignant as what they're experiencing. And maybe we still have trouble really believing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's not so weird after all, or to think of that as maybe it's a little easier for us to liken that. Um, that even though um, they struggled, they still, well, they remembered and they knew because we need that same reminder too. Yeah, even when they have the Son of God standing in front of them, it's still a process to come mm-hmm. to get to know him. Yep. And so it is with us too. And then he goes on to teach them after they understand that. Um, he teaches them. He calls um, apostles. Teaches them one by one, mm-hmm. they witness of him, and um, and then at the end, this is the last um, verse, verse forty-one. He says, "Jesus Christ teaches them. Therefore, go forth unto this people and declare the words which I have spoken unto the ends of the earth." So, they see, they feel, they come to know, and then they do bear bear witness of him. Um. I would love to have more time here. Uh, this would be such... I mean, we've given one answer to each of those. I know this time went by so fast. It, it would be such a fun study if we were together to say, let's take chapters 8 through 11, chapters 8 through 24, through the end of 3 Nephi, and can we identify some things that we, in our study, come to see or feel or know about this Jesus that makes us want to bear record of him, that makes us love him and want to come closer to him. So as you approach your own study of this chapter, hopefully you find more than just the couple of things we've mentioned here. Find the verses that speak to you. Um, Imagine that you are one-on-one with the Savior and that you get a chance to see and feel and know. Um, One of my favorite stories is told by um, Apostle Melvin J. Ballard. And he tells this uh, story. He says, one night he had a dream, and now I quote, I'm quoting him. On this occasion, I had sought the Lord, and that night I received a wonderful manifestation, an impression which has never left me. I was carried to this place in the Salt Lake Temple, into this room. I was told there was another privilege that was to be mine, and I was led into a room where I was informed I was to meet someone. As I entered the room, I saw, seated on a raised platform, the most glorious being I had ever conceived of and was taken forward to be introduced to him. As I approached, he smiled, called my name, and stretched out his hands toward me. If I live to be a million years old, I shall never forget that smile. He put his arms around me and kissed me as he took me into his bosom, and he blessed me until my whole being was thrilled. As he finished, I fell at his feet and there saw the marks of the nails. And as I kissed them, with deep joy swelling through my whole being, I felt that I was in heaven indeed. 
the feeling that came to my heart then was, Oh, if I could live worthy, so that in the end, when I have finished, I could go into his presence and receive the feeling that I then had in his presence. I would give everything that I am and ever hope to be. It's my feeling, my testimony, trusting the prophets, that one day we will each of us have a one-on-one, one-by-one experience with the Savior, where we will see him and feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And if not before, then certainly at that moment, we will know that this is the plan, the Son of God, the one that was sacrificed for us and will be compelled to bear record of that truth. Thank you for studying with us. We hope that this is the beginning and not the end of a great study in these chapters and in the chapters that are going to come. Um, We would love your answers to the questions we've posed in this episode. We would love to hear your experiences studying this on your own, some of the things that you found, and maybe your experiences teaching it to others. Of course, if this episode or any previous episode or any upcoming episode you think would help someone, not because of what we say, but because of the scriptures and the study, uh, spread it and share it. Um, If you have questions or comments or study tips for us, please reach out to us, and we will see you next episode.